Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 277 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. It's October and the unseasonably warm weather persists. Our bees continue to forage the remaining ivy flowers and I'm chasing my tail trying to catch up with a very long list of jobs for this time of year. The good news is I recovered well enough from my cold to visit the Hampshire Beekeepers Association annual convention and present my beekeeping season to them. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Apologies for the missing podcast last week. The combination of workload, a pre-arranged speaking trip to Hampshire and a very heavy cold really hit me quite hard. We had a bout of Covid here at home. Fortunately, I managed somehow to avoid it. Although the cold I had was pretty awful and still clinging and I'm still trying to shake a cough that just won't go away. Hopefully this is the first and last illness of the autumn winter season. I'm at that age where a day out to look forward to is looking likely to be a trip to the local pharmacy to get my flu jab and I have to say I'm very grateful for that. Despite all of the issues and challenges with our National Health Service, I've been very lucky and whenever I've needed their help for myself or family, it's always been there and long may that continue. Now that I'm feeling much better, I have a growing pile of work that needs to be tended to. Fortunately, we're heading into a time of year where the bees won't need quite so much work and I can focus on all of the other jobs that need now some fairly urgent attention. I've not inspected any colonies for a couple of weeks now. There's simply no need for the most part to open them up and mess them about. It's a good time to spot any colonies that might need further investigation and your support, specifically thinking about apiaries which have just a small number of colonies in them, perhaps one to a dozen hives. For anyone with a small number of colonies, just sit and watch them. It's absolutely the best way to see what's going on right now. Strong queen-right colonies will have bees flying and bringing back heavy loads of pollen, mostly ivy, I have no doubt. The entrance to the hive will be packed with bees queuing up to get back in as more bees leave the hive to head out foraging. You might see drones being dragged out of the entrance too. The poor old boys serve no purpose in the hive over winter and are just more mouths that need feeding. In some colonies you may even find drone larvae being pulled from their cells and dumped unceremoniously on the ground outside the hive too. This is all perfectly normal for your hive and shouldn't be seen as some kind of terrible problem that has beset your colony. Of course, some colonies will still have drones in and could even have drones through the winter. I've seen it in my own hives and no, it's not because they were a drone-laying queen colony before you suggest it. 
The colonies to watch out for are the quiet ones. When all the other hives have busy entrances, the ones to think long and hard about are the ones with just one or two workers flying from. These need fairly urgent attention and probably an inspection. Even this late in the season, it's something that I would recommend. Worse still would be a colony that has bees and wasps going in and out of the entrance. This type of activity probably means the colony is either dead or dying and is being robbed out. Grab your bee suit and take a quick look. You may be able to help a colony that's being robbed out if you're not too late, but time here is of the essence. Close the entrance down to a bare minimum as a first step. I would consider moving them into a nuke box if they're small enough. The reason for this is a reduced colony size has a far better chance of defending a nuke box volume of space than a full-sized hive, especially if they've been under attack and the outside frames of stores have been hammered. Hopefully, all of your colonies are strong and settling down as the daylight hours diminish and the brood nest area gets smaller in preparation for the winter. I still have a very long list of beekeeping work to tick off, unfortunately. The delay in bringing back the heather honey has had a knock-on effect and jobs that needed to be looked after have fallen down the list so far that they've almost dropped off the bottom. It can sometimes seem like there are so many things that need doing that I end up jumping from one urgent job to the next. Time, therefore, to write a list and work through it one job at a time. Here's what's on that list pretty much at the top though. Heather honey, then more heather honey, and then even more heather honey. Currently it's sat, well mostly sat in the warm room, which isn't warm right now. I need to check through the supers one by one and make sure there are no wax moth hiding in there. Now that would be a disaster if, having done all that work, I have a giant stack of wax moth silk and no honey, so that's right at the top of the list. Next up is some more extraction work. It's really important that I get through the extraction as quickly as possible. Interestingly, some of the frames I've extracted so far have a mix of flower sources, notably a combination of heather and borage. You can see instantly the difference if you hold the frame up to the light. And this would work for anyone with a frame of honey. You'll be able to see the different types of nectar that's been stored. The borage honey is a very light honey, whereas the heather honey has a dark golden glow about it. With light shining in from the back of the frame, you can see the physical boundary where the borage honey stops and the heather honey starts. I've been extracting a few frames of this combination and it's noticeable that when it goes into the jar, it's not as jelly-like as pure heather honey, which has the thixotropic characteristic, setting like jelly once left in the jar for a short while. The borage and heather combo is more liquid and would simply pour out of the jar if I tipped it on its side. I posted a photograph to Patreon and Instagram showing a jar of pure heather honey. It's absolutely fascinating. So the borage heather combo will become our heather blend honey. 
It doesn't taste as strong as pure heather honey, obviously, but some people prefer a milder tasting honey, so I think it will sell well. I'm also working on a heather soft set honey, a combination of our spring crop from the oilseed rape and heather, stirred together to form a smooth soft set honey with a fuller flavour of heather, mellowed and spreadable. Sounds delicious to me, and I'm only just beginning to experiment, so I'll let you know how it turns out. Winding the clock back to last weekend, and my main focus of the week previous, was preparations and presentation of my first autumn and winter talk. I've been invited to the Hampshire Honey Show and Autumn Convention at Sparshalt College. The Hampshire BKA is very similar to the Suffolk BKA that our Norwich Association is affiliated with. Lots of smaller beekeeping associations grouping together to form one larger BBKA affiliated association. I didn't carry out a headcount, but there must have been well over a hundred people crammed into the lecture theatre for my talk. Standing room only appeared to be the order of the day, with beekeepers sitting on the steps at the back to listen. I'm so grateful to the committee for organising my weekend with them. Being so busy, all I really had to do was turn up and talk. Everything else, food and accommodation, was taken care of. I even had an escorted drive back to my hotel on the Saturday evening after our meal, so I didn't get lost or misdirected by my sat-nav. My talk was a journey through this past season, as I moved my bees from crop to crop, in order to produce a range of monofloral honey, oilseed rape, borage, heather, and finally ivy, which as an aside looks like being a decent crop this year too. Of course, I included a lot of my near misses with disaster and tried to offer up some support and advice to beekeepers young and old. From the feedback I've received, I understand it was enjoyed by all, and we had to cut short the questions and answers session at the end, as we were in danger of overrunning into the next speaker. I spent the rest of the day making myself available to everyone to answer further questions and, well, just chat about beekeeping with everyone. It was a real pleasure. There was also a little bonus in that I was able to sit in on a talk given by Michael Badger OBE, and if I give you a moment to think of what the title of that talk might have been, given how my beekeeping year has been this year, it will not surprise you to learn that Michael was talking about heather honey, how to prepare colonies, what to do, what not to do, where to put them, how to extract the honey. I mean, talk about answering all of my questions. I could have sat for hours chatting with Michael about all things beekeeping. The topics actually wandered from beekeeping, to flights from America, repairing tractors, and to cap it off, Christmas trees. All in all, I managed to glean enough information to keep me thinking and planning for next season, all the way home on the drive back to Norwich. I finished the day with a repeat of my talk in the afternoon for those gallant volunteers who were unable to attend the morning talk. Not many, but they seemed to enjoy the repeat. On my way home, my conversations about heather honey were at the forefront of my mind. It seems preparation is the key. Now that I've said that, it all seems very obvious, and it doesn't really matter where your bees are going, or what they're foraging on, or even what the time of the year is. Preparation is the key 
to a successful season or part season, depending on what your plans are looking like. In between all of my thoughts and work this week, I've been chatting via WhatsApp to Luke at Northumberland Honey. As you can imagine, being in Northumberland, Luke puts his bees on heather and he commented that trying to get a crop of heather honey is, and I quote him here, not a low-cost addiction. I really should get some of my fellow bee farmers on the podcast to chat about, well, beekeeping. Perhaps when things slow down a little for everyone with their bees, I might be able to convince a few of them to join me here for a chat. It was the Bee Farmers Association AGM and Open Day last week too. A trip too far for me, even though I was COVID negative. My cold was still hanging around and I really didn't like the idea of a long drive to the Scottish borders for a one-day meeting. Seems I missed a good meeting as it happens and also the chance to see how a bigger business deals with its heather honey. I have been chatting to a few folk and now have another plan of attack for the heather honey. Guess what's required? Yep, more expensive equipment. So by way of explanation and as I've mentioned before, my honey sump is too small for us now and creates a pinch point in the honey room when we're extracting. The sump is where the extracted honey flows from the extractor and has a series of filter grids to hold back the debris and allow the honey to be pumped out clean. On a much smaller scale, you might use a double strainer over a £30 bucket to do exactly the same job. I've had my eye on a Carl Fritz honey and wax separator for some time. It uses centrifugal force to lift the unstrained honey up a tube and out into a pair of spinning buckets that retain the wax and debris, but allow the honey to flow out into a channel to run down and be collected as clean honey. The trouble is, it is quite expensive, like several thousand pounds expensive, but it does seem as if it might be the answer to our heather honey straining challenges. The movement of the honey means it remains in liquid form and doesn't set as the thixotropic jelly, so we should be able to keep the honey moving through the system and get it nicely clean. At least that's my plan. So the sump has to go and, regretfully, one of my 28 frame extractors. In fact, the one that has had one batch of frames put through it. It's basically brand new. But Needs must, as they say, I have to fund the new purchase somehow through the business, and if I'm right about how everything is going to fit together, I should be able to manage with just one extractor. Don't tell anyone, but I may go for a larger extractor, so may sell the other 28-frame extractor too. So, if you want a 28-frame Lega Flamingo Bottom Drive Electric Whisper Quiet Extractor, do get in touch. Be warned though, they cost around £2,400 new, and this one is nearly new, so I'm not going to let it go cheap. Finally today, jobs for early October, and honestly, this is going to be so varied this year, depending on your location, because the seasonal temperatures are way up. Here in Norwich, it's all gone dry again, with clear sunny skies forecast for the next week or so. 
If you haven't yet treated your bees and you have always intended to treat them, it appears there is still time to use some of the more traditional thymol-based treatments. In fact, you could probably get away with using any of the available authorised treatments out there. Feeding is going to be really tricky. With the nectar flow that's still available right now, colonies are going to be packing the brood nest with nectar, mainly from ivy. So why is ivy a problem for our honeybees? Honestly, it's not generally a problem, especially here in the east of England, where we don't normally get prolonged periods of sub-zero temperatures. It's even less of a problem if your bees have left a decent amount of summer stored honey in their brood box. You see, it's all down to granulation, and ivy sets like concrete. In a very cold period, this solid honey can be tricky for the bees to utilise, and if they're unable to move away from a small brood nest area because it's too cold, they can fall victim to what we would term isolation starvation. Although the bees have frame upon frame of honey stored away from the brood nest, the closest honey being ivy means they're unable to get past it to the liquid summer honey just a frame away, and so they starve. You can help by giving a small amount of syrup after treatments but right now, you might well be taking a crop of ivy honey, so I wouldn't want to feed anything. The simple answer is if they need some help, give them fondant directly above the brood nest area over winter. Mostly, right now, you'll probably be clearing old equipment away from apiaries if you haven't done so already, rendering old comb and perhaps starting to plan for next year. Lucky things, me... I need to get my backside into gear and continue catching up. Well, that's it for this week. Don't forget to check out my website, www.norfolk-honey.co.uk and for my latest videos and podcasts with more updates, tips and techniques, it's the same Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. And remember, I'm Stuart Spinks and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Beekeeping short and sweet.